Hey, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kelly. And we've been friends for 15 years. We're the hosts of Meet Cute and Mistletoe, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the most ridiculous aspects of today's holiday romance movies. We met while working at a publishing company and became friends through our shared love of sci-fi dramas and rom-coms, especially those Christmas ones. Years ago, I started hosting Christmas movie nights at my house where the festivities moved from drinking games to full-on bingo, calling out the common tropes and themes of these formulaic love stories. But with this year's pandemic, the holiday season looks a bit different. We might not be able to meet up in person, but we can still have a good time. The Christmas party has gone digital and you're invited. So grab a warm blanket and a cup of hot cocoa and cozy up with us while we discuss this week's meet cute. Hi again, I'm Lindsay. And I'm still Kelly. And this week, we tortured ourselves with the life lessons of Back to Christmas, a low-budget romp about time travel, ambiguous holiday witchcraft, and confusingly vague California living. It's currently streaming on Hulu and Amazon Prime, so you have no excuse for finding it if you do want to watch along. And you can add a side of sanity to this nutty sandwich by watching for all the typical tropes with a free bingo card from our website, which we posted there because we love you cuties. It's at meetcuteandmistletoe.com or follow the links on Twitter at mcmistletoepod and all other social at meetcuteandmistletoe. Play along as you watch the movie on your own. We will be calling out those tropes here as we discuss, which means spoilers ahead. And we'll reserve the coveted center square till the end for deciding on the most over-the-top moment of the film. But first, we need a special treat to get the party going. So, Kelly, what did you cook up special for this week's movie? This week, I felt inclined to create a drink that best encapsulated the energy of this film and my wanting to escape it and go to some place where Allie and this crazy cast of characters are not. (laughs) I'm calling it Ticket to Aspen. A transportive cocktail with bourbon, St. Germain, because we know how much Cam loves that elderflower. Yes. And freshly squeezed mandarin juice, and it's topped with some kava, because we got to have a good amount of booze to get us through this train wreck of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, so for so many people who never made it to Aspen in this movie, like, someone needs to get there. So it might as well be us. Yes. Get the recipe on our website at meetcuteandmistletoe.com. Now that we've got our tickets to Aspen and bingo cards in hand, let's go back to Christmas. Act one, magic is everywhere. You just have to go off your meds. We <laughs> look accurate for this movie. <laughs> we open with a shot of Los Angeles and the sound of sleigh bells and the words, Mar Vista Entertainment. So we know this is going to be good. If you've been watching any amount of these movies, you know that Mar Vista has consistently delivered many of the greatest, worst holiday rom-coms. Many of my favorites. <laughs> the best. <laughs> I've I've gotten to know that logo well. Uh, so 
we meet Allison, who is a driven architect determined to busy herself in work and reality TV for the holidays to drown out her sorrow after dumping her live-in boyfriend last Christmas when he didn't propose. Her father calls her the Grinch who loves Christmas in the first minute. So off the bat, we know to expect a curmudgeonly homebody with a deep admiration for twinkle lights, which relatable. <laughs> uh, I know we're at the start, but I already have to comment on some really great questionable dialogue yes, with the script please. writing in the first two minutes in which in this conversation where the dad is uh, reprimanding, I guess, kindly his daughter for not coming home for Christmas he tells her spoken like a daughter who's never been a father and she says someday and they give kind of a knowing look to each other (laughs) and like look anyone can grow up to be anything they want to be and if she wants to be a father someday that's entirely possible but I feel like that is not they were they weren't trying to make a statement on gender norms or binary (laughs) gender descriptions and so right off the bat I was like hmm second pass at that script maybe yeah (laughs) so uh (laughs) just needed to get that out there because it really struck me as an odd interaction (laughs) a a palate cleanser (laughs) of a taste of things to come yeah exactly (laughs) a little bit of an uh oh, little, little <laughs> pink flag waving up there. Um, Allie is working on Christmas Eve with a very large, strategically placed photo of her ex boyfriend on her desk, which I guess we could say is little pink flag number two, mm-hmm. uh, desperately trying to fast forward through this season. Her best friend tries to convince her to join her at a cabin with some guys. And then her boss is very awkwardly and inappropriately hitting on her in which he invites her to dinner with his wife and children because, okay, um, that's how we start things off. She's like, no, thank you. I'm going home to my own apartment, doing my own thing. She is determined to sit this Christmas out, nursing her broken heart and reminiscing about her ex who just so happens to walk by with his gorgeous new girlfriend. And it's right after she has spilled coffee all over herself, broken a heel on her shoes and toppled into the dirt. And I just have to say I think that this scene was amazing so I think we can already rewind back (laughs) and we need to talk first about her best friend's baby voice Mm. (laughs) that's her real voice by the way Um, I just thought she was putting on a weird it didn't sound like a natural voice exaggerated it sounded very exaggerated yeah a little helium filled. <laughs> the second thing I want to talk about in this section is the interaction where she like run in, runs in, meets cute, I don't know, with her ex and his girlfriend. And I was legitimately laughing so hard. I think mainly because my first, my favorite person in this entire movie is 
his new girlfriend, mm-hmm. this limpid chick who's on his arm. Uh-huh. And she's sit, you know, Allie does she Allie does not look her best. <laughs> she has just gotten oh covered God. in dirt and coffee. And uh, so she when she meets her, she's like, Do you so do you live here in the park? <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, oh, she thinks this is like she spends all of her time always in the park. And then when they're leaving, she's like, you have a lovely park. <laughs> she's quite nice to her. And I was just dying over it. Like that she's like, oh my, this poor girl that we've happened upon. She definitely feels park. sorry for her. I... This is every woman's nightmare, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, this is, honestly, I fear for this to ever happen. Well, yeah, if anytime you're, you're going to run in with an ex, you want to be the winner. Right. You don't want to be wearing, like, looking like you just, like, dodged the dust bowl with broken heels. <laughs> Literally living in a park. <laughs> Allie quite literally picks herself up dust herself off and posts up in a diner with a burger where mm-hmm. she meets Ginny, who is played by Jan Brady from the 90s Brady Bunch movies in what I genuinely hope is a terrible wig. But now throughout watching this movie a whole second time and actually pretty certain is her own hair. I don't know why she just is a very much a caricature of a human being in this movie. So they bond over their disdain for the waiter who's a real asshole and hilariously so. And uh, Ginny rightly calls it over how Allie is stuck in past regret. And Allie seems to be enjoying herself for the first time in the whole 15 minutes that we've been watching this movie already. And it's like, oh, she made a friend only to realize that no one was there as she gets a receipt for one customer as she leaves. (laughs) And it's kind of this like, ooh, what's going on type of moment. Um, Again, the waiter is like so perfectly punctuated yes when she leaves he turns to another one of the workers there and is like when crazy's in town it eats here and that seemed like a very los angeles thing to happen absolutely (laughs) also the music in this section is like very dramatic very over the top and every single time anyone like exchanges a glance like a look between people or someone says something with kind of a biting undertone to it the music is like da-da <laughs> <laughs> I was like are we in a soap opera right now what happened like the tone gets real different in that diner <laughs> yes what is happening don't know in this diner Also, we get, like, the burger that she orders is clearly the burger versus the roast beef that, (laughs) why is this a thing? The burger versus the roast beef that Ginny orders is clearly a metaphor. And so I just needed to point out that this is now two of these movies in a row using savory meat dishes as metaphors for romantic love. It's the, it's the best plot device in screenwriting. 
Um, back home that night, Allie is binging ridiculous reality TV as promised, and we fade to black as someone on screen very faintly says something about the fact that she's a witch, which is like really not easy to catch at first. And I'm pretty sure that this is a nod to us under having some sort of understanding that her imaginary Christmas friend is some sort of witch. I like it as a plot device because Ginny is just the right amount of kooky. Yeah. I like that she is Allie's version of Drop Dead Fred. <gasps> totally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe if they even like build it as such kind of a movie that might have gotten more interest from people to check it out because it kind of does she totally has drop dead Fred energy. Anything else that you want to note from this section of the movie? I just want to go back to the diner scene yeah. and how when she's ordering, when Allie orders her food, she says she wants a, the juicy burger and she wants it well done, which is, uh, from a culinary standpoint, two completely paradoxical words. <laughs> it's a very mm-hmm. impossible thing to do. <laughs> you can't have a juicy burger when it's done. Did you notice how when Allie is eating the roast beef sandwich, she doesn't even take off the toothpicks she just (laughs) jams it in her mouth and i'm like you fucking psychopath she just wanted to eat a toothpick sandwich i'm not convinced that this entire movie isn't just a fever dream from the moment that Allie fell in the park So for the bingo section of the movie, if you're playing along, we have established that Allie is a workaholic. She's working on Christmas Eve along with her boss. They're the only ones who are there. And wouldn't it be sad and, you know, terrible and a really bad indication of something if you're working on Christmas Eve and Christmas? Definitely not. Ha ha ha. Let me hit on you. Uh So Um. Along with that, on the same topic, unreasonable boss is unreasonable. Yes. Because everything that happened in that interaction was completely unreasonable. Then we have an, a run-in with the ex, a really bad one. And we follow it up with unexplained holiday magic going on with Ginny. Was she there? Did Allie actually eat a, a shoe sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> it was all very confusing. And so that closed us out on this first act. Can I add a possible bingo? Let's talk about it. I would say token diversity. Oh, with her friend. Because Sharice, the Sharice character is the only person of color in this film. In the whole entire in the actual whole, film. She, she only she's the only one who, of color who has lines and she's on screen for two minutes. And uh, you are I totally give you that. That and is I'm a really like, good one. Why and a really bad one. <laughs> it's terrible. Why yeah. are you gonna this this like it's like she's she has a cameo. Here is our our token, you know, best friend, and she's got two minutes of screen time. 
Also because everyone knows that California isn't diverse at all in any way. No, it's all <laughs> homogeneously white and ambiguously Canadian. Mm. <laughs> yes, definitely. Let's add some token diversity to that list because apparently that's what the casting director said when they looked at their billing list. <sighs> Do better. Please. So it, this movie was 2014. Do better. Uh, so act two, she wakes up in the section of the movie that we're calling a basic physics lesson for a Christmas redo. It's presumably Christmas morning and her mother's standing over her. And this is how we know to expect an overbearing mother trope when your mom's literally standing over you when you wake up in a movie. Yep. She's shocked to discover that she's back at her parents' house with Cameron, her ex, there too. But she quickly recovers when she realizes she has a chance to redo the holiday for a second chance to get back together with him, which is exactly what she wished for back at the diner when she was talking with Ginny, the imaginary roast beef peddler. <laughs> Both her parents and Cam are all very off-put by what they keep mentioning is her unusual attitude. And just as they're about to leave to pick up her younger brother from the airport, Allie sees her old childhood friend Nick putting up holiday decorations for his parents across the street and walks out into the street to hug hello. Her not-ex Cam is clearly jealous and a douche, but she swears that Nick has always been just like a brother. So this is our meet cute for this movie between her and the boy across the street. And I would say for a holiday rom-com that has already come out swinging this strong of this caliber, it's a pretty tame meet cute. Agreed. But... Mm -hmm. Really, it seems like they are appearing to be trying to channel all of the pent up frust, you know, flirtation energy yes. into like the art of squinting in this scene. They're both <laughs> just kind of like weirdly squinting at each other, like, oh my gosh, it's you. It's so great to see you. Squint, 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 squint. And I was like, what is happening? What is this meet cute? So after they've picked up her brother from the airport, we're over at the club where Cam, the not ex, reveals that he doesn't see the point or help in participating in the toy drive for needy children that they're there to do. So now we know he's a monster. And also he says he doesn't like Christmas, which is just like an extra helping. Allie basically says, yeah, me too. And now he knows something up but he also prefers it like he even flat out says that he likes the quote-unquote new and improved more flexible alley which I'm gonna go ahead and say now we're into some real red flags here yeah well he's he he he's like calling her bullshit like every single time that she is exhibiting non-typical behavior of herself he like raises his eyebrow or he just pauses and looks at her like huh yeah I, I sniff something very odd about you 
it is an interesting thought to think like if you woke up back in your life a year ago how different of a person would you be and it would just seem like from one night to the next morning and yet you have lived a life of like growth in right. a year's time so it's an interesting thought to think about Allie goes to grab more wrapping paper while they're at this toy drive that apparently is not helpful and <laughs> very bad in Cam's eyes. And surprise, Ginny the Christmas Witch is there overseeing the volunteer work. They have a conversation that manages to be incredibly vague and way too scientific all at the same time. Basically, the act of observing something inherently changes it, so they can't violate the laws of physics other than time travel. Everything's happening differently than it had the first time simply because she went back in time, and she's on her own to play out this new alternate past timeline. Got it? Good. Ginny says it's nothing like Men in Black. (laughs) It's nothing like Back to the Future or Groundhog Day. And if you've seen 12 Days of Christmas, which we discussed here in episode two, it's nothing like that either. So very helpful. (laughs) Back at the house, Allie lets it slip that she's gotten or is just about to get a promotion at work. And her brother complains about whatever his career is bouncing around foreign cities and living out of hotels. Cam says it sounds amazing. And there is some seriously weird energy in the room. Like, what's his deal? It's weird energy. The whole movie is full of weird energy. (laughs) I feel like the brother and Cam's animosity animosity (laughs) toward each other felt to me very much how the dynamic should be between two people who are vying for the same woman. I do not disagree with you in any way. I found the brother to be a more enjoyable character to watch and yet the most confusing one to watch. And this is in a movie with Ginny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, His I don't know. His motivations are all over the place. Yeah, I mean, he definitely at least saw his role in the film. It seemed to me, the way that he played it, like he was going into it saying, okay, I'm the comedic relief. (laughs) Right, right. And so because of that, he, he played big. He played real big. Yes. And... Cam, Michael Mooney from, uh, I will mention, from Veronica Mars. Yes! <laughs> he plays it small. And I mean, I think he plays it very subtly. I mean, he he says some outright, like, I'm a tool kind of stuff. But he plays it small, I thought. And he's just subtly a douchebag all over the place. <laughs> Versus Jason, the brother, who is like, I'm Jason, the brother. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you what I think at every moment. Which Mom, is very what are you doing? <laughs> which I find very interesting because you know what? Those two characters those two actors yeah I think carried the film 
I think they had, I, in my personal opinion, yeah. I think Cam was the most talented actor. Cam was the most talented actor. I absolutely on, agree on with this you. because I can a hundred percent be like, yeah, you're a jerk. You're a tool. And, and he downplays it. It's not an exaggerated, oh, yeah, I'm a tool, yeah. Yeah, it felt like a real person. It felt like a real person. And, I mean, kudos to Michael Mooney because he carried this film. Yeah. I think maybe the acting. Oh, I think acting. what if what if the actor who played the brother was the played love the interest love interest was played Nick because the actor who plays Nick I mean I'm going I'm way going too ahead of what we're talking about but the acting aspect yeah I it think it seemed like more believable energy for a love interest and yes, yes. Nick's energy seemed like a more believable energy for a brother <laughs> <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Or cut, or, I don't know. Or cut out the brother entirely. Yeah. It, it just, okay. The whole family as a cast of characters, uh, they all had very, I'm not even usually like an energies person or I don't usually speak in that way, but I was just like, literally, there are five competing energies in yes. the room every single time. Yes. Like the lead, Allie, Michael Mooney's, which is just like, I'm an asshole. I'm just going to sit here in the corner, like tweak an eyebrow and exude <laughs> that. <laughs> and then the dad who's like, Hey guys, I'm just your dad over here. And then the mom who's like, ha, huh, I'm exasperated mother. I'll just like fumble my way around everywhere. And then the brother who's just pulling faces like left and right and doing very like okay kind of impressions and I was just like what what I, is this, this family this is why I feel like this is the Christmas version of drop dead Fred and all of these characters are drop dead's drop dead Fred's friends in the you know how they're in that doctor's yes. office yes. and they're all running around and they're so excited to see each other I'm like this is that family <laughs> Oh man, it's totally that. It's totally that. I think it was just a bunch of actors who were excited to be there. I'm not trying <laughs> to like diss them because I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. So I replayed this one part of the movie like seriously eight times. Uh, <laughs> In this conversation, I swear to God, the actress playing Allie shoes a fly away from the actor playing her dad mid-scene, and they all just, like, went with it. Like, <laughs> go back and rewind it back. It's, like, some interaction between them where he says something like, you'll always be my kitten. Some weird, random, offhanded interaction and conversation uh -huh. that they kept having between her and the dad. Like, we get it. You are the dad's favorite. The dad loves you. And there's weird history with the mom. <laughs> huh. I don't I, That seemed like very underlying. But did we... I like want you to go back. anyone who's watching this please go back because I need to not be crazy I like rewound it I was like 
she's like shooing a fly away why did they not take a second take of this whoever you know I just to the editor or director whoever is in charge of the decision to use that footage yes it was extremely noticeable in case you were wondering and had been debating it and no it wasn't necessary to include that bit of dialogue in the movie um if you don't have time for a second take, perhaps question cutting it all together because I was like, what just happened? Um, um, Anything else you want to bring up in this section? Only thing I want to bring up was the weird... So when when Nick and Allie meet up or reunite for the first time, they do this really weird high double fist bump. Yeah, they like clearly had these like, oh, we like have this childhood history of like secret handshakes. <laughs> I don't know anyone who does that. No. Nobody does the high double fist bump and it was awkward and even Cam thought it was awkward. <laughs> so that's, I'm just bringing it up because I thought it was weird and unnecessary. Cam's like, I'm weird, and even I think this is weird. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, not loving anything about the meet cute. No. I think that's I think that, that is why the meet cute between them or like the whole established idea of them as a relationship is confusing to me because I don't believe that they had a closeness Agreed. or that they miss that closeness or that they have thought about each other in 15 years. Agreed. That's what I want to see in a meet cute between people right. and like these, this type of movie. Well, the thing is, is that, so when we see in the first scene, we rewind it back to act one and she gets her mail and we see a post a christmas postcard of nick with lila and she just she looks at it very dismissively and just throws it in the trash and i'm sitting here like this is the guy that you secretly have had feelings for or there it's just such there's no emotion other than the fact that she just throws it down you know like is it is it a reminder of his existence or is it like a sadness about not having explored that relationship I don't I don't understand when I Mm -hmm. look back maybe just a reminder of his existence which at that point how into him could you have been (laughs) Because you had been vying for for, uh, the past year for your ex that you broke up with. So you're not even exploring. This is not even a a thought in your mind. But then all of a sudden it is. So if you're paying attention to bingo on this section of the movie, we have had not one, but two adorably klutzy falls in the very beginning of this act of the movie when she wakes up falls out of bed 
talks to her mom, then goes running out of the room so excited and falls again. And the mom like makes this whole big awkward to do about like, you're such a klutz. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And I was like, this, this is why this is a trope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she seems like a perfectly athletic person and that she goes parasailing and skiing and whatever in her jet setter life with Cam. And yet she's <laughs> adorably klutzy. We've got a charitable act with them going to the toy drive and wrapping presents for everybody. We also have a competition mm. between the family members about who can wrap the most gifts the fastest, which literally goes nowhere, leads <laughs> to nothing, and is completely throwaway. Yes. We've got a town Scrooge with... I think we can definitely call Cam the town Scrooge here. He's like, I hate Christmas (laughs) and everybody is down on him about it. And then we also see some reindeer out in the front lawn of the house, which spoiler alert, you're going to see it over and over again because they have only two establishing shots, morning (laughs) and night, (laughs) Christmas lights on, Christmas lights off that they keep showing us them. The next portion of the movie, hi, I'm Allie. Have we met? The family has headed to a pizza parlor for lunch and childhood neighborhood Nick walks in to start joking with Allie about the genuinely weird energy between her mom, Cam, and a bag of fruit. (laughs) They're like sniffing it and it's a weird bonding thing to see. Um, here's where we finally get to know more about our love interest here to vie for Allie's affection. He owns and operates a successful contracting company, which does a surprising amount of decorating projects for the holidays. And he also stayed living in their small town, which it's clear that Allie is not super interested in. And, uh uh-oh, I think we have a big city, small town showdown between (laughs) the two love interests. Which one's going to win out? Is it big city Cam or small town (laughs) Nick? Speaking of Cam, he's an even bigger douche in this scene, and he literally calls himself a tool. And then goes home to pick a fight with Allie about whether she and Nick would ever have had a thing. Can you say insecurity? When Michael Mooney is like, the only tool that Allie is familiar with is me, I was dying. (laughs) Like, truly, his acting performance in this movie, I will, I just, it made me realize I will watch Sheriff Lamb from Veronica yes. Mars on anything. He is he, so good in this. He, yeah. like, again, he is carrying this movie. Yeah. And he's not that far off from his Sheriff Lamb character. He plays such a good asshole that I can only imagine he must be like the nicest guy on the planet. Right. It's a fight that Allie and Cam have never had before. So she is completely thrown after five years with this guy. And like, I don't blame her. It's, it's pretty out of nowhere how he picks this fight with her. I thought like, 
has she kind of mentions he's you know oh all guys are possessive and get jealous which I was like I don't love that stereotype I don't think that we should or can say that (laughs) that's not an excuse and also he's clearly like making a mountain out of a molehole in tiny little interactions that he's seeing between her and Nick. So Mm -hmm. I don't blame her. The family all notices that they have had a fight and her dad is understanding about it. Her mom is pissed. Like she's like, this guy is wonderful. Why are you in a fight with him? And her brother, Jason is actively shit talking which I think, again, speaks to what you were saying about the animosity level being more of a love interest vying type of animosity between the two of them. So they head out to the Christmas Eve party at the same club as the toy drive. Literally everything that takes place in this town apparently happens at this club. (laughs) So at the party, Cam tries to smooth things over with Allie by telling her that he has, he knows he has no reason to be jealous, while also slipping in that he loves his travel lifestyle, doesn't want kids, and also thinks that Allie would kind of make a terrible mother. At least that's the gist of it. Shocking that these two are fighting ever. (laughs) (laughs) Ginny, the Christmas witch, shows back up as a caroler to chat about how it's completely insane that Allie and Cam have never talked about having kids in their literal five-year relationship until now. I'm like, yes, you're making some sense. She's She's a soothsayer. (laughs) She's... She's kooky and dead on. So dead on. At at all times. Okay, so also Cam is like still saying, you know, I'll be fine as long as I don't have to interact with or see you interact with Nick. And she's like, well, that's going to be a problem because our families have always sat together at this dinner And that was making me question what we know about, which is like, okay, so she and Cam have been dating for five years. They've traveled for like a couple of years over Christmas time. And obviously the parents know him very well. Like the mother potentially knows him a little too well. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) sure what their relationship status is. And yet he's never seen or met Nick until now. And it's also kind of seems like maybe he's also never even heard of Nick. And so I'm just like, okay, they always have had this family dinner. I was just very confused by this. Like how have we gotten to this point in their history that any of this would realistically be taking place? I don't think they talk at all. (laughs) It's a good point. (laughs) They don't talk about the future. They don't talk. She doesn't talk about her past. Uh, Their hopes and dreams. Their hopes and dreams. They don't talk at all. And the only thing I'm thinking is that that what they do when they hang out with each other is just they go travel. And they make plans. Are both existing next to each other and just are. They're just travel companions. They're just travel companions. Mm. It's, again, (sighs) 
what how are we supposed to believe that this is a couple how are we supposed to believe that this that ali our lead character is so sad that she broke up with this guy and that they go she goes back and travels for this guy and we're just all sitting here like dude you don't want him yeah you don't want the life that he wants he doesn't want you and doesn't want the life that you want so why are you (laughs) why are you forcing this this is exactly what was supposed to happen you guys were not meant to be with each other yeah Yeah. And I don't know if the point is that Ginny knew from the beginning, like she's like, don't you go trying to order that hamburger. You want roast beef. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, no, I'm going to order the hamburger. And then it's like, okay, well, fine. You ordered it. But now that it's in front of you, you don't want it. Do you, you want the roast beef? Fine. I'm going to make this play out in real life as well. I don't know. Uh Uh-huh. No, it's it's a very uh, beat you over the head with a meat <laughs> metaphor. Um, okay, the the mother and Cam. I don't even think the mom has a name. She's like the mom. It's Robin. Oh, there we go. Robin and Cam are dancing, and she and he says to her. Cam says to her, now, if only I could romance your daughter the way I can you. Is that an okay interaction between your mom and your five-year living boyfriend? Look, (laughs) every couple that's in, every single love scenario that's in this movie just doesn't work. (laughs) And it's very clear who needs to be with whom. <laughs> we should give our take on who who's dating who at the end of this movie in a yes. happily settled like way. Yes. Okay. So Cam is all excited to give his gift to Allie early at the dinner table in front of her and Nick's families, which is its own completely weird vibe. And it's tickets to Aspen a mere hours from then on Christmas morning, which means that she is going to have to be packing like immediately and missing Christmas festivities. She's clearly not digging it at all. So we transition to her and her dad having a heart to heart conversation about how basically unhappy she seems this Christmas. Then she and her mom talk. She lets it slip that Nick wanted to ask Allie out in high school, but the mom discouraged him. And Allie is like pissed off. So, okay, the the last thing I want to bring up in this section is such a weird thing that happened that I had to go back and rewatch it over and over again. <laughs> like it, makes, it brings me so much joy. It's why these, it's why like a movie like this is my absolute favorite to watch, even though it's, it's just, it's sloppy, even though it is 
pretty difficult to follow along in plots or motivations of people. Then you get a scene like Allie and her dad dancing, having this deep conversation at the party, at the club, (laughs) and you see two background actors (laughs) who are inside. Yes while they are dancing outside and you see them blurred faintly they're in the background they're on the left they, side if you're if you want to rewatch. They, she's like in a red dress I think and he's in like a suit jacket but these two special people decide <laughs> you know what we need to do we need to see if we could pat our heads and rub our stomachs at the same time and we need to do it right now. <laughs> it needs to happen while the camera's rolling, while the actors are speaking. <laughs> it is so jarring. <laughs> I had to go back, like in the moment, just to make sure. <laughs> I was like, did I just see what I think I saw? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I've lost you. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just the most talking about upstaging. (laughs) I think the two act the two background actors uh had their own meet cute and were so encapsulated by the sparks between themselves that they did they no longer gave any fucks they like forgot what they were there to do and they were just like i think i'm in love Honestly, I kind of would prefer to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, because there's <laughs> there's like a better chemistry between them. Yes, I can see better chemistry between these people doing this. I can't. Wait, sorry. Honestly, Kelly, it might be my favorite moment in any of these movies ever. (laughs) Bingo in this section of the movie. We've got a love triangle that is getting very complicated very quickly with more and more outward aggression and fighting about, you know, whether or not Nick could be part of this love triangle or not with Cameron disapproving family and that mother like she has got some strong disapproval going on for Allie kind of across the board it seems she's with Cam she's doing everything right by her mother's standards and her mom is still on her back and uh, she's her mother is very, very disapproving of the possibility of Nick in any way in their lives. We have Carol singers at the party, Ginny being a chief among them, trying to come out strong in the lead in the spotlight with a 
rendition of old king Windsor slot whatever the hell that song is and isn't that the same song that in a princess for christmas yes yeah that they were humming which we also know is the song that they go around singing door to door to the little kids the little girls in love actually the only way i've ever heard this song is in these movies yeah (laughs) um and then lastly, we've got a big city girl in a small town. Act four, just in the nick of time. It's clear that Allie doesn't want to go leave for Aspen. She's looking through old photos with Nick from high school and throwing a packing hissy fit. And her brother totally calls it. She doesn't want to go and kind of also doesn't really want to be with Cam anymore. And also her brother drops a surprise announcement. He's sick of traveling, misses being home and near loved ones. And he's quitting his job to move back to California. It's clear that Jason's life change has her reconsidering her path as well. And this section, uh, this, this scene really just had me wondering who are the people in these photos? Because I think that was supposed to be her with Nick, but I wasn't sure. I don't know if you noticed. It I, did not look like anyone we knew in this no. movie. Okay. So I honestly think that they did a last minute recast <gasps> and didn't Ooh. think the audience would figure it out that it was someone completely different. And this is my theory. Okay. I think it was a recast, and that explains why Nick isn't in most of these scenes. Ooh. I, could, I like this course, theory because it, it makes me feel better about things. <laughs> that guy in that photo, in, in those old school photos, looks nothing like the Nick. At brother. all. It looks like a completely different person. But it must be that she's looking photos through photos of Nick. That's or what else, I'm why is she looking through photos? The photo of her and the supposed Nick guy, like it's a ver- it's a younger version photo of, of her. Clearly. Yeah. But this guy next to her is like blonde. I like this. I like this theory. She sees Nick out of the window dropping off Christmas gifts at his parents' house. So she goes to say hi. She's in her pajamas and a jacket. And I love it. It feels like real life. He talks her into going to see his holiday installation, his big surprise, isn't this amazing holiday installation? And I'm sorry, but are we supposed to be impressed? It's like literally lights and a shit ton of decorations all just toppled on top of each other. There are literal individual ornaments strung randomly hanging from trees. It's a hot Christmas mess. she asks him if what her mom has said was true did he want to go out did he want to ask her out and apparently everyone but Allie knew that Nick had a huge crush on her back in the day he rightfully asks why she's seeking him out and talking to him about all of this now and when she casually lets slip how she broke up with Cam a year ago but thought she'd made a mistake Nick is thrilled until he realizes she's just contemplating roads not taken in life he's got good boundaries honestly I would say like and good self-esteem I was like oh my god I like it I like Nick 
Like, seriously, let's have more Nick in this movie <laughs> instead of constantly just talking about him. <laughs> they just, they cut him, those scenes were cut out because there's a different actor. They really like this idea. <laughs> so then she very randomly in this conversation bursts out saying, like, how she's feeling she's been feeling this connection with him is she the only one and I'm like sorry when what (laughs) there were too many conversations both at the pizza place and out the club about like basketball hoops and how he wants three children and whatever were those that meaningful to her does she seriously never talk to anyone in her life (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah like, she, she doesn't talk to her boyfriend so <laughs> she does she, does she talk to anyone <laughs> nick tells her they're not gonna figure out anything while she's still living with and dating cam which is a very fair point <laughs> and she's hurt by it which is ridiculous christmas morning she's finally decided not to leave Even as Cam blathers on about how they're practically the same person and they want all the same things. So she finally spells it out like, hey, I want to get engaged, married, and have kids. And he's finally like, yeah, I don't want any of that. And (laughs) these guys have been together for five years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They for sure never talk. I think you're right. Anything that you want to bring up in this section? Uh, I really like the scene when her and Jason are talking about relationships and Jason says, the life I have on the road is shallow and lonely because the people I love the most aren't in it. That is a really great line. I do agree with you. I feel like that was Jason's best scene. Yes. Like the actor's best, most believable scene. Because it wasn't so it wasn't an overpowered performance. It was very subtle, but it was meaningful. And I'm like, this is the Jason that we want to see. Yeah. Not some cartoonish Jason. Jason. This is is the sibling that we want to see. Yeah. With that in mind, I think that's a great transition into bingo because I see that scene as the wise sage imparting advice trope where they have you know, some sit down moment in the movie to be like, okay, here's where you need to straighten out your priorities kind of thing. And he's saying, you don't want to be with this guy. This isn't the life you want. Yeah. (laughs) Figure your stuff out because I've done it badly. Don't make my mistake. We also get a Santa suit in this section with the, um, oh God, now I'm trying to remember. I think it was in the holiday display. Certainly, there's like a Santa in there at some point. And we, I think, pretty solidly now that we've had enough scenes between them, say that there is no chemistry between these lead actors. I am sorry to say it. It's very clear (laughs) by now. (laughs) So we're rounding into the final moments of this movie the last act what if I just want to see where my life might take me Allie has finally decided to leave camp for good and to keep it that way and she's just about to tell her family about her big fight with him when the doorbell rings 
Ginny the witch has come with a singing telegram in a gorilla suit because, okay, sure. That might as well happen in this movie. (laughs) Allie complains to Ginny that she wanted Nick to fight for her. And I really hate this trope. I don't know about you, but it's just, don't write a woman to be career-minded and independent and starting to finally like fight for things that she wants in her life and then immediately have her be like, hmm, I wanted a man to fight for me. Ginny reminds her that Nick didn't tell her that he didn't want to date. And Allie finally decides that actually what she really wants is to live her life and live it freely and just see where it takes her. And I finally feel like this movie is making sense and now we're talking (laughs) But there's only eight minutes left. They should have ended the movie right there. It would have been amazing. I would have loved that. What a great evolution of yeah. this Alley character. Yeah. But no. Yes. No. <laughs> Instead, all that dashes to hell less than a minute later. Like I write what I'm like. Yeah empowerment you go girl right jenny tells it like it is and you're finally starting to see it ali then nick burson <laughs> it's like on cue <laughs> and he's all like ali don't go to aspen i do have feelings for you and immediately all the great boundaries and self-realizations and self-worth from both of the characters are thrown out the window for what's seeming to seem like a weird codependent rebound for both of them Uh but like true love so yay Mm. also two birds with one stone because nick's declaration of love also serves as the mechanism for Allie's breakup with cam as he rounds the corner and is like hey guys turns out i'm still here and i do have ears (laughs) (laughs) it's like ouch (laughs) bye cam (laughs) um he was definitely a douche and a self-admitted tool but like Rigget, really his biggest crime in this relationship was not listening and communicating and chasing an unending adventure instead i don't really think that he's a villain here i i can yeah i agree can i can i make a case for cam please do case for cam Let's a case go. for cam it's I'm glad that you see it in this way, but I think the writer has tried the entire movie to make us hate Cam yeah, and only see him as the villain, and he's not. I think that it goes both ways. This relationship between him and Allie just wasn't meant to be. They're two completely different people. And the fact that they don't talk to each other for, they've been together for five years. They never talk to each other. They never express their wants. She never expressed that she wanted all of these things. Where honestly, they should have had this conversation within the first few months of this relationship. If you are in a live-in relationship with somebody, this is year one type conversations. Like you do not continue a five-year relationship without talking to your significant other that's saying, I want kids. I want to get married. 
it goes both ways, man. You have to have these conversations. And the fact that he just wants to go travel, you know what? That doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. I think that's freaking great. But these two characters were clearly not meant for each other. And it is her fault just as much as his fault that this is not a relationship and that wasn't meant to be. Absolutely. I am so with you. Your case for Cam is strong. Your honor, I think we have a point here. And I will add that this point in time, he is actively living out the life that he thinks they want to be having together. And so he's already in his, how he sees the like future of their relationship going. Right. And he's instigating ideas for keeping fun and spontaneity going. Like, I think he's just the type of person who that's an important thing to him. And it's not a bad thing to be that person. You're just mismatched. Totally. And also they have conversations like where she says something about, you know, they're talking about the, the toy drive. That's why I mentioned like, oh, we're clearly supposed to see him as a monster here because he's saying like, why not just give them money? And is this doll really going to help the needy child? And she's making the argument of like, well, at least she gets a doll. And he's like, well, does she need more than a doll? I'm like, right. I think he's kind of like, has a really good point here. He's practical. He's <laughs> practical. And extravagant and- <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wants to spend it on things that are meaningful. And so he doesn't want to buy a kid a doll if what she really needs is, I don't know, an operation, <laughs> a practical thing or something. And he also doesn't want to spend his life doing things he doesn't want to do. He wants to work to be able to then create the life that he has going and doing all the fun adventures that he can do. And I think he thought, he genuinely thought he had that partner in his life for him. Right. And I would imagine that would be devastating to be on the other end and five years into this relationship that you've invested that you think is exactly how things, you know, the the other person that you're with has wanted them to be like, why have you never talked to me? And in their big fight, she says, she's like, why did you feel like you couldn't bring these things up to me? And it's like, yeah, why did he? Yeah. Because you've never said anything. (laughs) You not talk about yourself? (laughs) You have never said one thing in these five years and timeline one (laughs) and timeline two, you have not, you're now deciding to say something in act three. So I, I, no, I'm sorry. That's lazy writing. You can't. And it's, it's like one of those like really shitty tropes where you're, oh, the person who wants marriage and children is the good person. And the yeah. person who doesn't want those things is bad. And it's yeah. like, no, that's that's a very old-fashioned way of looking at it relationships really, yeah. and um, what a family is. Yeah. I really wish that they had just kept it on like, oh, you're just mismatched for the type of lifestyle you want to live rather than qualifying the lifestyle differences as like one's good and one's bad. One is aspirational and the other makes you a monster who hates children and Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. 
he's just wants to have an adventure with somebody he enjoys being with and I'm like he doesn't want to hang with her kooky family but he'll put up with it if he needs to (laughs) but he was such a nice guy I mean it was a very weird dynamic between him and her mom but he was a nice guy to her mom he yeah he had a really weird yet you know there was a connection between them where they got along I'm like he's not a bad guy y'all he's not yeah yeah case for cam a case for Cam. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Cam has grabbed his very, very sparsely packed bag. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. I was like, what did this man bring with him? And he takes off. And I feel really bad for him. As now we know. Hopefully everyone who's listened does. Um, And Allie kind of feels bad for like a moment and Nick doesn't even give her a second to process this giant double breakup of her relationship over what has now been six years of her life. But he's like, hey, you deserve someone who will definitely never take you on a vacation or out of the small town ever. You deserve a guy like wouldn't you know it me (laughs) she's like this is very self-serving like give her a minute to process a feeling Mm -hmm. they have their big coat their big kiss moment and they definitely have strong sibling vibes Mm. Allie wakes up the next morning not really sure when freaked out where she is and I honestly can't remember what her bedroom versus her parents guest room looks like so I'm also just as sure as she is at this point in the movie but she throws on a new pink coat that we haven't seen before she walks through a different living room and so I was like okay we're back at her place but who knows when and she runs off and barges into the diner where the nasty waiter was earlier and where apparently Ginny just like lives (laughs) just kidding because apparently it was and wasn't all a dream all at the same time Allie goes tearing through her trash looking for Nick's holiday card with his new girlfriend from that we saw at the very beginning of the movie but just as she does lo and behold Nick walks in lattes in hand turns out they've been together this whole time and actually they are engaged We end the movie as her brother shows up to caravan back home for this year's holiday in time to wrap presents for needy children at the club, which I guess makes it back to Christmas Eve again in the present timeline. Mm. Um, And then they all walk out the door. And that's where we end, except that Allie is still literally in her red and white striped pajamas and coat, <laughs> and there's no bags. So I guess that means that's how she dresses now. <laughs> so I was like very truly confused, but also like, ah, a movie for COVID times. <laughs> Always in our pajamas. <laughs> We're finishing up bingo here with quite a few tropes in this last like 10 minutes of the movie someone learns a lesson Allie is like oh I should you know just go for what I want in life and see what happens there's the holiday breakup 
2.0 between her and Cam that's going to stick for good at least this Christmas Eve. <laughs> There's a declaration from lo- of love from Nick, as we mentioned, which helped facilitate the ending of that holiday breakup. Love obviously was there all along between Allie and the boy across the street. Allie, our Christmas hater, discovers Christmas magic, quite literally, as she's initially said she didn't believe Christmas magic was there anymore, and then in the end is chasing after Ginny to try to figure out what went wrong with her Christmas magic. We rounded out with a holiday proposal from Nick that even though we didn't get to see it the first time around, we got to experience the rapturous joy of seeing that ring go on her finger (laughs) for the first time with Allie. And then we close it out with best friend finds love trope as we have very randomly thrown together Jason and the waitress, Samantha. Do you have a top pick for the center square? Yes. <laughs> I would love to hear what it is. It is, I think it's a very obvious center square. Ginny's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gorilla Ground. <laughs> oh, we are so in agreement here. Okay. <laughs> any other i mean <laughs> that's like the moment the movie went completely off its rails <laughs> like i don't know where it was going in the first place but at that point it derailed it jumped the shark on its own <laughs> self <laughs> and the dad summed it up perfectly with his quote where he goes i'm sorry i don't think we ordered an ape <laughs> It was like my thoughts exactly watching this movie. <laughs> I just, every, I found myself looking forward to the scenes we would see with Ginny. Um, okay. Scale of one to 10 on the actual interactions between Allie and Nick. Sibling chemistry? <laughs> <laughs> like strong sibling chemistry. Strong sibling chemistry. <laughs> romantic chemistry (laughs) zero maybe one maybe one yeah what do you think honestly I feel like here's how I would put people together based off of the chemistry chemistry that they were having in the movie between their characters I would put her together with Jason. I would put wait. Oh, her Allie, brother Allie with Jason. <laughs> yeah, yes, Allie with yes. Jason, but not her brother, but him no. as yes. as a, a different character. Okay. Yeah. I would put Camp together with the mom. Yes. No, I agree. I, I, I would here with you on this. I kind of just want to see like a spinoff of Samantha's character 
I liked her and everything that she was doing. And I just wanted her to see like her being a woman out there living in the world and <laughs> to see her like character more developed because she had, I thought, great energy. And then I wouldn't put Nick anywhere. Nick is, mm. I would, uh, let's, let's see an interaction between Nick and photo Nick. <laughs> or... <laughs> Oh, and you know who I really want to see together in this movie? Ginny and the mean waiter. <laughs> ah, so I think I, I like that. I think that would have been a better love triangle. I think Ginny with the, the waiter and Ginny with Allie. Ooh, I would have loved to see a Ginny Allie movie. Because... That was the chemistry that I saw between yeah. if, with any of the characters with Allie, the the lead actor in this. I felt that her connection and chemistry with Ginny was the most authentic. Authentic, and that they actually had a meet cute. They really they did. They had a meet cute at the diner when she sits next to her and they have this meal and they're having a great time and she's having so much fun that she forgets about how depressed she is that she's alone on Christmas and asks for Ginny's number and then Ginny is gone and turns around and I guess apparently she's talking to herself so that that's how it should be written everything that you said with the tr- love triangle between Allie and Ginny and the waiter. We just need a movie about them in the diner. <laughs> um, now that we've read the roller coaster chemistry, <laughs> back to Christmas, I feel like we need a reality check. Do you have some movie trivia for us? A bit. We've got, uh, we've already talked about Michael Mooney, who we love from Veronica Mars. Another interesting fact. He screen tested twice for the role of JD on Scrubs and was told, yeah, and was told by the studio president that he would be perfect for the role, but he was too handsome because the JD character is really a goofball. Yeah, he's a total goofball. So he was too good looking to play. I buy that. He, he, I mean, he definitely is very good looking. Yes. So would you recommend this movie? Only if you watch it while being on whatever the hell Ginny is on. (laughs) (laughs) I know I have a really hard time like answering that question because my favorite thing is to watch these terrible movies, obviously. Yeah. I find a level of enjoyment in the chaos of the like, just trope after trope mad libs that's going on in a lot of these movies and I think you have to be a type of person who also really loves and enjoys that yeah otherwise you're just going to go absolutely mad so I think it's a case-by-case basis right well that's our show (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode of Meet Cute and Mistletoe, and we hope you enjoyed Back to Christmas to whatever degree that that enjoyment is possible.
Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Subscribe to Meet Cute and Mistletoe wherever you get your podcasts. Write a review, share with your friends, check out our website at meetcuteandmistletoe.com to get the episode recipes and more. And connect with us on social at mcmistletoepod on Twitter and Meet Cute and Mistletoe on all other platforms. Meet Cute and Mistletoe is produced by Kelly Ray and Lindsay Hathaway. Music and audio by Grendel. Artwork by Renee Granillo.